Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Into the Cosmos episode one. We're going to be doing this a lot more often. Uh, so this is kind of like our first kickstart. And today we're going to be talking about DeFi in the Cosmos ecosystem. So glad to have everyone on board. Kava, API3, Hover Network, Trev from, uh, I believe it is going to be Dora Hacks as well, Mayor Finance, and everyone else on stage, Zero Protocol, Axler also tuning in, Cryptocito as well, Persistence, just naming off a few people, but we want to kind of kickstart into the journey of entering into the cosmos. And I'd like to start with a, just a really quick introduction with everyone um, to kind of get everyone to know what we are. Uh, we are Kinetics. We are a decentralized perpetuals exchange built on Kava. Uh, so users can go on there and be able to already place into positions and be able to earn liquidity by being in part of our pools as well. So let's go ahead and kickstart off by going around the room really quickly within the speakers and telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, so let's go with our co-host, Kava. A little shy, a little shy. All right, let's go ahead and switch over to API3. Oh, there we go. Hi, yeah, hi guys. Um, so I'm Dave from API3. Um, API3 is a relatively recent um, Cosmos ecosystem partner. So we've, we've announced that we are supplying data feeds on Kava chain. Um, we announced that a few months ago, we're supplying Kinetics with the data that they need to build their perpetual protocol. Um, and we're very excited to be a part of this. Just briefly, API3 provides verifiably decentralized um, data feeds. We're building data feeds also that allow protocols to benefit from Oracle extractable value. And current work that we've been doing on this and publishing on our Twitter shows that it can reduce the cost of liquidations by potentially up to 99.9%. .9%, so pretty dramatic preservation of protocol liquidity. And yeah, I'm really excited to hear more from the other projects here and just deep dive more about what's going on in Cosmos. Um, it's a really exciting ecosystem. All right, let's go ahead and go on to our next one, uh, Hover Market. Hey everyone, so I'm Eileen. I'm one of the core contributors at Hover. We are a next generation learning protocol um, built natively on Kava. And we're building the future of DeFi lending and borrowing with our institutional grade product and retail accessibility. So we've recently launched our early access Genesis pools and we are super duper excited to have our full protocol live and officially join Kava next month. Excellent. Let's go ahead and head over to Persistence. Yes. Hey, everyone. My name is Jeroen. I'm a director of products at Persistence. Um, so Persistence is um, an app chain actually focused on liquid staking. Um, liquid staking. And um, we've been a Cosmos, uh, Cosmos chain uh, since the beginning. We, we launched in uh, 2021 or early 2021. So Cosmos OG, as you might, uh, might call it. Um, and uh, yeah, so on, on top of the persistence chain, we have uh, two specific DeFi products. Uh, one is P-Stake, which is a liquid staking protocol, does the issuance of liquid stake tokens. And then there's a, a DEX uh, on the on the chain, which is called Dexter. Uh, Dexter focuses on the trading of liquid staked assets 
um, but also trades other uh, other assets. One of the recent pools there that was uh, created, actually two two pools recently uh, were created, including USDT, uh, of course, coming from uh, from Kava. Um, so yeah, very excited to be here. Um, thanks for having me, and excited to uh, to all the conversations today. Excellent. Let's switch over to uh, Mayor Finance. Hey folks, this is Okaro from Mare Finance. Usually our BD Atakan will join this, but he's at military duty. Uh, we'll be there for like 20 more days. So I'm here as a substitute. Uh, to talk about Mare Finance, we are also a liquidity market on Kava EVM. We are a lending borrowing protocol, a Zona Finance fork, which was on Optimism. We arrived here natively on Kava, building on Kava. Uh, we are very... Uh, excited to see what happens in 2024. Uh, there were many ups and downs, but this is what basically growth means. And we are trying to be optimistic. We are happy to see more and more protocols on the EVM side and really excited to see the growth of the Cosmos ecosystem. Excellent. Great to have Thanks. you. Let's go ahead and uh, switch back to Kava. Let's uh, switch over to uh, Trev from uh, DoraHax. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Trevor from Dora Hacks. Uh, Dora Hacks is a global hackathon uh, platform and, and leader uh, in the industry right now. Um, we've uh, gone our roots down in in Cosmos for for a while now, uh, where we're we're partnered with you know thirty plus thirty plus chains and and, and counting. Um, and effectively, we we run hackathons through our platform and submission portal infrastructure. Uh, we do hackathons on the ground. Uh, and we find ways to support uh, a lot of the chains in Cosmos uh, on an ongoing basis uh, by running validators and also using the commissions from those validators to uh, run continuous uh, events and initiatives um, that basically mobilize the, the global hacker movement um, in general, um, but also to support a lot of our chains here in Cosmos right now. Uh, and we also uh, we also just launched our Atom Economic Zone quadratic uh, funding and grants program. Um, so anybody interested in that, let me know. But uh, yeah, we're just doing lots of cool stuff here to support our chains in Cosmos. Excellent. I'm going to be removing some of the brands down just so I can kind of invite some of the other speakers on there. Um, so just give me one second. We're going to intro on to the next one. If people are removed, I'm assuming they will be brought back up at some point. Also, we just have uh, looks like a lot of over over uh, subscribed on the speakers here, and there's uh, some people who want to get up early before they have to uh, go. I I know at least one person. It's like midnight for them, so we're going to try to get them up early. And that's Crypto Cito, who's now speaker. Hey Cito, how you doing? Deanne, hello, hello. How are you guys? Is my mic good? good. Can you guys me? Yeah. Yeah, nice. you're good. Yeah, I think this is a really cool initiative. You know, I think Cosmos in general is a, is a quite fragmented ecosystem. So I think I've been preaching for a long time. We need, we need more alignment. You know, we need, we need to pull it all a, a bit more together because in the end of the day, I think, you know, we all kind of believe in the same thing. And I think also like IBC is this kind of common common ground that we all have. And I think, you know, Cosmos sometimes can can be a little bit uh, dramatic and uh, and political, but I think you know events like today, and I hope this is the first of many into the Cosmos episodes, get the whole ecosystem more together. I think that's what we really, we really need. Um, so yeah, glad to to see this happening and glad to be here. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll add on to that. You know, I, I think as a builder in the space, Cosmos is a very interesting place to build. And, you know, I guess I should intro myself. So I'm Rock Zacharias. I'm a co-founder of QuickSwap, the largest decks on Polygon. Uh, CEO of Lunar Digital Assets, which is a marketing incubation firm that's incubated uh, projects in the cosmos, um, incubated uh, Polygon, uh, actually Persistence, who's on stage here uh, many years ago, um, QuickSwap, uh, Doze Chain, a Polygon chain, et cetera. So like being a builder and looking at looking at things from a builder's perspective, it is very interesting the way the cosmos works. It's not like any other ecosystem. The factions, the the infighting and things can be pretty heavy and intimidating as a builder. And it can push builders away. And so I think this space is really cool to try to bring everyone together. Um, you know, if people have disagreements, it's good to discuss them. I, you know, Cryptocito's been doing stuff like this for a long time. And there's been some, he's had some crazy interviews, uh, some very controversial interviews and, uh, and he's done a great job in uniting people in the, in the cosmos. And I think this space is uh, something that the cosmos really needs um, because the ecosystem is, is, is only strong if everyone works together. If everybody is fighting, it creates, you know, a lot of unnecessary turmoil. Yeah, I think actually I have to I have the last like publicly recorded conversation between between Zaki and Jay on my on my YouTube channel um, around a year ago or something. Um, but yeah, I mean I've always tried to you know to do my best to to get everyone to to talk and, and share the excitement about the technology because like I say I think for outsiders or, or, or new builders, as you say I think it can be intimidating. But I think once you're kind of once you kind of understand how it works, I see a very high kind of retention of, of builders and people in the space and like retail community and, and just people that like fundamentally are convinced of, of Cosmos as an ecosystem. And I think that makes it so resilient and so sustainable in the long term, right? I mean, Cosmos has been around for so many years and, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just growing and I feel like right now we're in this phase where, where Cosmos is actually reaching this escape velocity where, you know, we might actually have a longer and bigger Cosmos season ahead of us where not only the whole kind of ecosystem explodes and, you know, coins go up in, in price left and right, but also we see more actual adoption and, and real products that are being used, right? So, yeah, I think... It's at a point where it's really resilient and, and, and sustainable in, in a way that it organically just grows, you know. And I think you don't really find that in any other crypto ecosystem out there. Anyone else want to jump in? By the way, feel free, just like any other uh, spaces, um, we, we, uh, I host actually the All Roads Lead to Polygon, uh, which is the second largest Twitter spaces in the world. And um, and also, uh, we have a Doze Chain spaces, and uh, on both of these, and, and this included, uh, we want everyone to be able to jump in and don't worry about raising your hand or like stepping on toes. We just want people to jump in. This is a this is just an open conversation. 
If you're in the audience, feel free to leave comments if you have questions for the panelists, et cetera. Uh, but yeah, feel free to jump in. Anybody have any thoughts on what CryptoCito was saying there? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, hi, my name's uh, Jeff Shear. Uh, I run marketing as a core contributor with Eileen, who you heard from earlier uh, at Hover. And uh, CryptoCito, nice to see you. I haven't uh, had a chance to speak with you since Cosmoverse in Istanbul. But I think that your point is right on the money. Um, we've got a very interesting opportunity um, in terms of competition, investment, uh, as well as, you know, uh, during these bear markets, people lean into engineering and development. And I think that we'll see a lot of novel technology come out of this now that things are looking a little more bullish. I also want to welcome uh, Alexio. Alexis from uh, Alexi Basley from uh, Kinetics, the uh, the founder of Kinetics. Welcome. Hey, Alexi. Hey, you guys. How are we doing? All right. Exciting to be here. Episode hey, one. Alexi. How you doing, man? So going on, uh, going on that topic. Did anyone else have any any thoughts on that? And I can I can jump in and like maybe maybe state how I see it from. Uh, inside of, of a, like very like old school cosmos project and uh, i must say like the, the last i think two years or so ever since uh, since the things happened on, on terra i feel like the ecosystem has has only gotten like closer and i i do agree like from the outside it might like look sometimes like there's a lot of like drama and then like commotion and discussions going on uh, which sometimes kind of reflect negatively i do think um but actually i do think from the inside the collaboration has never been greater i think the teams that have kept on building have have just gotten closer in the last uh, last two years i think almost all the the teams that are are truly building within the the space are, are so well connected trying to help out each other like introductions left and right um trying to help out like if there's uh, any security vulnerability like no, like noted on one chain like it, it kind of um, gets applied onto all all the other chains. Like everyone helps each other out. I think the the actual like insider view I think is incredible. I think it's it's now only now that it starts to kind of come out to the outside world that there is actually so much happening and it's it's so positive actually in in totality, uh, which I think is great. And then it's uh, it's been an amazing journey I think so far. And I think the best is yet to come. We're all around bullish. We're all around bullish. Don't worry. <laughs> it's it's coming. It's coming. But uh, thank you, everyone, for, for hopping on today. Um, I want to kind of like dive into some of the first questions. Um, so the, the, the first one, kind of like for the general audience, once again, anyone can kind of jump in and, at any point and, uh, and, and speak. Um, so can you guys share kind of like a pivotal moment or a milestone in development of your project that significantly uh, shaped this trajectory? Let's go ahead and kick it off with, uh, with Aileen. Yeah, you, uh, uh, I think Eileen's having some connectivity issues. Uh, as we well know, Twitter Spaces has got some code issues. Um, uh, but I can I can take that as her colleague. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, with 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 regard to like next growth catalysts, um, I, I think that regulation is something that we are primarily intent on. Uh, looking forward to, right? So there's a lack of clarity, uh, which is holding us back as an industry, right? There's also an on-ramp, which has yet to be really figured out. 
compounded by the security issues that we've seen in 2023, 2022 as well. And certainly as a lending protocol, um, Mayor, I'm sure that you guys have this as well. Um, it's it's difficult, right? There's a level of confidence that has yet to be really decided, right? So trust and trustless. So uh, it, at Hover, in, in order to, I guess, best protect our protocol and the users, we've opted for, you know, geo, geo-block certain jurisdictions, including the U.S. and Canada. So that's a large chunk of the market that's not able to participate. Um, in our search to provide financial instrumentation in the DeFi space that's both institutional grade and retail accessible, to own the future of your own finance, um, this is something that is holding us back. And legislation or regulation is a big part of that. Um, obviously, we have to work compliantly. So having some more clarity so that our builders can be certain that we're remaining compliant will definitely have a positive impact on the growth of, growth of DeFi at large. I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. It's, and, and, it's yeah. <laughs> how unfortunate is it that you know DeFi products have to like geoblock or put warnings to you know US uh, and others when the US is one of the largest? I think I think I saw some stats showing that the US was the largest holder of uh, crypto in the world. Uh, yet you have to geoblock the US. And what makes it even sadder is someone from the United States is that we're US citizens who is supposed to be the most free country in the world are not allowed to use products made by all these great innovators around the world. It's sort of, I don't want to call it a a little bit of a joke. No, I don't don't disagree with that at all. I think I think you're you're entirely right. And, you know, um, and a number of other countries use U.S. regulations and compliance as the standard. Right. Um, as the as the gold standard. Right. Um, uh, there, there are certain exceptions with privacy and GDPR, but it's it's. Antithetical to not allow participants, I mean, uh, at, at least in terms of regulation right now within the U.S., um, and I know that we'll be speaking about this a little bit later, but like the BTC ETFs, right? Um, they've had, they've the government has had a very large problem with regulating securities, commodities, and utilities as it pertains to uh, uh, cryptocurrency writ large. When it comes to regulation of the DeFi space, you know, how many years do we need to wait for the catch up here? And so at least in terms of marketing, operating in good faith uh, and, you know, uh, in the good faith of the letter of the law as it currently stands today, as well as uh, regulation uh, and compliance is the best option that we have. Um, so, So it's it's frustrating, right? Because we want to bring in these markets as, as you pointed out, um, but just not able to do so. API three, you have your hand up. Hey, your mic is pretty bad. It's, it's a little bit hard to hear. 
Uh, is it better now? Yes, yes, yeah. 100%. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to play the devil's advocate for the U.S. Seeing as how I live in the U.S., uh, I felt like there is a case to be made that DeFi as it stands right now isn't particularly decentralized uh, and is something that is very harmful to investors as a whole. Um, not just speaking in terms of like, you know, what has happened with Terra Luna and, um, you know, other such protocols. But if even if you look at, you know, the gold standard in DeFi, like something like Aave or Compound, all of these protocols depend on essentially, you know, oracles. And if you actually dive into it, all of these oracles are controlled by multi-sigs. Um, you know, similar case with something like Polygon, which is also the POS chain at least, is also controlled for a long time by multi-sig. And now I know with, with ZK and everything, things are changing. But the fact of the matter is, you know, at any moment um, within the space, there are a few individuals who could, if they wanted, you know, uh, rock bullet. I mean, I, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, so how do, how do we make more kind of like a data accessible for users without compromising security, you know, by by external tool providers? But by the way, uh, just to, to jump on that as a Polygon guy, um, and as one of the multi, not me, but QuickSwap is one of the multi-sigs for that. Um, there's a lot of projects that are multi-sigs for that. So it would require, say, five projects all colluding, <laughs> five different well-known projects uh, colluding to, to do that. But, you've, I mean, you've got a good point. That no, no. I mean, like, like it's like, sure, the, the, these are the multi-sigs, but like for it to be actually you know like these need need to be known entities like they, they need to be verifiable like who who these people are so they can be held accountable if we are going this route you know that's what i'm saying but sadly in crypto that's not the case at the moment yeah i mean but, um, I, I guess just there's a lot of this sorry sorry yeah go ahead i sorry i was gonna say um, i was getting a call so i don't know if you guys could hear me then i couldn't hear you guys yeah go ahead go ahead <laughs> I, yeah, I guess just following on from that, I, part of this is about kind of openness about where the potential vulnerabilities are, rather than obfuscating that there are multi-sigs involved. If if everything's completely open and subject to the same kind of trust guarantees as blockchain itself, where you're not trusting, but you know exactly what's happening, then you can probably argue that some of these are like are acceptable compromises while things are scaling. Um, part of the problem now is that a lot of these things aren't public and aren't known. Um, one of the things we're trying to do is to make data verifiably decentralized. So you're not trusting that we're saying things come from different places, but you can go to each data provider. You can verify that. You can see that you're getting something that's actually decentralized instead of a like a different oracles, sort of black box of many, many oracles where you don't really know they're actually using different sources. So uh, I think like Ashar's point is a pretty good point. Uh, like the space needs to be more open about where the security compromises are and open about why they're there. And then the people that are taking part in DeFi using the dApps as subject to these compromises, they can make an informed decision about whether that's something they're happy with. I, I think that's that's an excellent point. You know, it, it reminds me, 
it reminds me, um, you know, uh, of getting back to the vision of why we work in this industry that is incredibly difficult. There's no playbook, right? Um, we're, you know, trust your gut and follow the data. But, you know, uh, Jesse Powell, uh, former CEO of Kraken, right? He, he had this big vision statement. And I think that when we get too far away from the why with why we're in this industry, why we're um, providing financial technology access, that we get a little diluted. You know, Jesse Powell had said, if we're not able to operate within regulations, then we'll put a satellite in space and we'll run, we'll run the, the operations from there. And I thought that was, that is a novel idea that provides access to people. Not saying that that is compliant, not saying that that is regulated, but these big picture ideas and the vision and the why of what we're doing to provide financial instrumentation and DeFi access is, I think, at the heart of why we're all in this business, which is incredibly difficult to get anything, you know, over the next milestone, right? And um, if if we're too myopic or navel gazing about the next deadline, then we lose sight of the ethos behind why we do what we do. Yeah. So how do we keep kind of like the the balance between the basically the centralization and also the decentralization of our communities as well? And I I know that community plays a huge kind of a playback you know, like a huge role within a lot of our ecosystems. So next question would be like, what, what role does community feedback play into shaping the direction or features in your project? And, you know, if there's any notable ones um, that you would also like to point out as well, like which ones do you have you guys seen that has really taken community feedback and pushed it even further? I mean, maybe I can answer this one with a, with a relevant example of something we did like um, <clears throat> back in the days when we launched our first like liquid staking uh, product for uh, for Atom. Basically, we had a liquid stake product for, for Atom and we launched via multisig on, on the Ethereum side, actually. And um, that um, gained quite a bit of traction, but it also got quite a bit of, of negative feedback because we used that, that multisig. And despite the negative feedback, like we, of course, like we tried to incorporate it, see what we can do. It was, it was in the end, it was secure. We got to a, a level of like over $50 million worth of, of TVL. But even then, like the feedback kind of kept on getting stronger, like from, from the community. And then of course we always like to take that into account. So what we did is actually we deprecated that entire product, despite the 50 million in TVL and just started building something completely new that was fully decentralized and got rid of the Oracle part. And um, I do think like that the reason we, we got to this point was just because the community feedback was there. The community was involved saying that, um, there are better ways to do it. And I do think like sometimes I think decentralization is a bit of a, of a, of a word that is used like quite heavily and like as a, as a target vision, whatever. But I do think it's like, it's a process. And sometimes I do think it's fine to start with something that's not perfectly decentralized and you learn in the meantime, you, you iterate on it and you kind of improve going forward using all the feedback that you gather, using all the data that you gather uh, and so on. Um, so, yeah, I do think like feedback from not only from the community, but just from like from everyone, your users, even people not in the community, your competitors, whatever. I think all type of feedback is kind of is kind of important. And Trev, we, we know you work pretty closely with the community as well. Um, it, any feedback on that side? Yeah, I, I can speak to kind of kind of community in a, in a general sense. I think it's something that like it's so important and so 
compelling uh, for our industry just because those that are in these discords, telegrams, Twitter spaces, they're like the most passionate. They're like the top 0.1% um, of the people that are engaging that have the time to engage. Um, and it's really important for especially the early, early and, and kind of middle stages of, of um, these company developments. Um, one thing that, that I do think is interesting, though, is that a lot of companies and projects focus on just their direct community and the ones that are already engaged. But a lot of the times we're, you know, if our goal is to build for the masses to onboard the next 10, 20, 30, 50, whatever billion num number of people, it's actually the people in our communities aren't necessarily like our best gauge of what a customer is. Um, so that's something that, that I think is really interesting, not to just get siloed into like what the community is that's hyper polarized, hyper, you know, it, you know, excited about your project. Um, they're jazzed about anything that you do. And it's important uh, for, for, for the company at that stage. But like, also we should think about like where we're headed. Um, that's just a gen general comment. I don't have a specific project. Uh, I'm going to, going to jump into on that. Now, I know you're doing kind of like uh, the the grants portion for Dora Hacks to be able to kind of like build more tools into the Cosmos ecosystem. But mm -hmm. you know, what what tools do you guys think would be needed or currently needed that uh, we should implement to be kind of like you know make it a little bit more better uh, in implementation? Well, can you tell us about Dora Hacks first? Yeah, so we, <laughs> just for some context. Yeah, I, I, I can speak to, to to the portion that that, that Mike's talking about, and it's that we just launched our. Uh, uh, quadratic funding submission round for um, uh, public goods projects that are building to support the Adam economic zone. Um, so that's, that's what we just launched. Like, I think it was just a couple days ago. <laughs> we had a space on that. Um, we're effectively um, uh, individual community members are able to uh, vote and also donate their capital, their hard earned crypto, whatever it might be on the Dora uh, factory platform and blockchain um, to projects that they feel are uh, an essential public good for the ecosystem. Uh, now, now, what does that mean? Um, public goods, people kind of define them in different ways, but effectively for, you know, the way I see it, a lot of, a lot of people in the industry see it, um, they're, they're open source um, products, processes, or, or tools or utilities um, that can effectively benefit everybody. Uh, and to me, that can mean anything toward uh, from, you know, uh, a DAO that, you know, does technical documentation and make sure all the docs are always up, up to spec, because we know that that's that's a that's a gap that we have in a lot of uh, uh, it leaves a lot of devs kind of out in the dry when they want to engage with our platforms. It's hard to update docs constantly, constantly, constantly when you're always changing things internally, right? So that tends to fall by the wayside. Uh, open source, uh, uh, um, like modular frameworks for smart contracts. Um, really, really cool. Really, really interesting. A Abstract's doing something like that. Uh, Andromeda's got some cool, cool stuff going on. Um, and there's a lot of projects that kind of sit in the middle that aren't just like, our goal is to make a metric ton of money. We're actually building something for the greater uh, and broader ecosystem that everybody can benefit from without gates. Um, those are the kinds of things that I think I find really compelling. And in terms of funding public goods, um, uh, our recent initiative that we just launched, you can submit your public goods projects and then you can get funded through the community 
Um, and there will be education and information on that um, beginning on the 19th is when the, the, the cutoff uh, ends or when, when, when the cutoff is for submissions. Uh, and then the voting and the donations grants uh, for these projects through our platform will be available. And we'll also be launching a matching pool uh, for the donations that do come in from the Dora side as well. Um, so that was a bit of a long-winded answer. No, I think security would definitely be, you know, within that category, especially for the entire ecosystem. So I kind of wanted to, to dive into, because like we, we can't talk about DeFi without security, because everyone knows that the more secure the protocol is, the, the more likely that like, you're going to have more users, more liquidity, and kind of like more interactions on there. So kind of want to go around the room and see if, uh, you know, anyone wants to talk about what additional implementations they added on in terms of their security features so that users um, could be more secure while utilizing their, uh, their applications. So I guess I can chime in. I mean, we're not a DAP, it's API 3, we're an Oracle project, but a lot of DAPs um, assume that Oracles are going to be secure. And actually that's not necessarily the case. And an insecure Oracle can lose a DAP as much TVL as insecure code. So uh, I, we've designed everything from the ground up to be completely robust and decentralized and resistant to manipulation. We want to be able to provide dApps not only on the Cosmos ecosystem, but everywhere with, with data that they can rely on, they can trust. And we're doing this in as decentralized way as possible, or even a DAO. So we're decentralizing the governance aspect away. Um, and eventually, everything should be completely, essentially permissionless. And that's the goal. So I mean, obviously, we have audited code. But I think the main point I wanted to make is that it's not just the code. It's the other things that dApps rely on that need to be reliable. And um, they should look into it in great depth to work out if it's as robust as they think it is. And the attention that dApps pay to their code, the number of audits they get should, like in my opinion, um, be replicated in the due diligence they do on the Oracle projects they trust to secure them. Um, and yeah, I mean, I would say we're very good, but obviously I'm biased. Mayor Finance or, uh, or um, Duran from Persistence, you guys want to hop on to that as well? Anything about the security side that you guys have implemented that can kind of also be a, you know, a, a plus for the community? Yeah, I can speak from our side. Um, so basically, I mean, we look at security from various levels. Um, I think it always starts with like the code itself, like including a lot of test coverage. I think that's uh, typically a first layer. Then typically you do like two layers of um, or two, two rounds of audits. Um, meanwhile, I have the product on or, or like uh, public testnet as well. Uh, really testing things out even before uh, before launching um and then typically have uh, everything available as like a, a bug bounty program as well to uh, ensure that even in the early stages of of the launch uh, many white hat hackers are actually looking at the code as well trying to exploit the the protocol wherever possible um and um yeah i guess that's typically i mean so far at least has has worked out uh, pretty well um, but then of course it comes down to like all the integrations as well, like every additional integration you make and then, um, kind of opens up an additional attack vector. Um, I guess, especially when you start uh, for our protocol, then integrating with different like borrowing lending protocols, for example, uh, where our like, uh, liquid staked assets, for example, are used as, as collateral, uh, kind of comes in with like these risks of liquidations and things like that. So, uh, we typically take a very holistic approach and I think, if it's one thing I think that, that I would say like to, to make stick with the community would be just about patience. Like let's not rush 
and into anything. Let's not deploy anything if we're not sure that it's a hundred percent percent secure. And all right, maybe we'll never have a hundred percent. But like um, to to us, that's super important. It's actually one of our core values at, at Persistence. It's uh, it's patience, um, just to to make sure that uh, we take all the time that we need to to ensure the the highest amount of security that we can guarantee. Mayor, I saw you uh, unmuted real quick. No. So the, the reason why I was wanted to talk about security was um, if, if everyone's has, I'm pretty sure everyone has noticed by now, the uh, the ledger hack. So where it was basically a lot of applications that were using some of the ledger framework was hacked. And, uh, you know, I wanted to, to touch more on that side, you know, in terms of like whenever you guys are looking at other applications or, or potential partnerships with uh, with adding, you know, different dApps or different elements into your ecosystem. Um, what other parameters have you guys looked at in terms of, you know, making sure that, ledger, you know, the, the, basically the ledger hack won't happen again? Whenever you said the ledger hack, my first thought was which one? Um, <laughs> but that's all I have to contribute to this. Wait, which one? Man, I've been using ledger for a long time. I can't remember. Are there, were there others? Yeah, they, they leaked everyone's addresses. Um, oh, who bought ledgers oh, back years ago? That's right. Yeah, I actually got spam mail to my house because of that. Yeah, I got, I got a, I got a damn uh, mail, like paper mail from Hex, <laughs> like trying to get me to buy <laughs> Hex, and it was clearly from that. It's funny. I talked to some people in the Hex community. I was like, you know, that's kind of shitty to do to take advantage of this hack and. Uh, they said it was like one of the best campaigns they ever ran, or I don't know, I, if it was like the community who ran it or if it was X themselves or what, but yeah, that was kind of crazy. But I mean, to, Richard Hobbs just trying to help you make it. He's just, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like what were there funds lost from this recent hack? I'm assuming yes, but I don't actually know. I, I could only see 600 K, but only see 600 K lost on chain from it. Um, so it seems fairly limited, even though it could have been bad. But obviously, I, I may have missed some more up-to-date analysis on that. Do you want to run? Does anyone want to run down what happened there? I mean, I have a general idea, but maybe if someone has a, a stronger uh, explanation, or and otherwise, I'll, I'll try my best. Yeah, I only have at best a general idea. Ashar on the API three handle might know a bit more in depth than I do. Uh, I actually don't know. Uh, uh, I use a trusser. Sorry, sorry guys. Okay, so, so I didn't go into it. Someone, some old. Okay, some old dev. I used a um, Some old dev, I think, was was uh, no longer with the company, but they didn't um, take away his email access, and uh, someone hacked his email. I think, and then use that email to, I believe, inject some kind of... Uh, Should we hop into Bitcoin ETFs? Uh, sure. <laughs> do, do you have something strong to say there? Sure. Uh, maybe you can't hear. Uh, maybe we're... Uh, one of us is uh, rugged. Maybe that's what's happening. Jeff, can you hear me? Can anyone hear me? Yeah, we, we can hear okay, you. Yeah, we can hear. Someone tell Jeff he's rugged and he can't hear me, probably. I was like, well, that was a random jump in. He must not like my explanation. <laughs> he didn't like hearing about getting hacked. And uh, kind of like the, the social metrics of like, actually for that too, it's kind of like you're getting compromised by having an old employee's email that's placed out. Um, so like kind of like looking at social hacks. I mean, we've seen a lot of 
DeFi exploits throughout the years. And, you know, some of them are from the social side to where an email was kind of captured or a, uh, you know, an, an employee's, mostly employees' emails were uh, vulnerable to different types of social metrics as well, you know, which then hurts the community and hurts everyone in, in whole. But uh, I think hackers have been targeting the DeFi ecosystem a lot just because there's a lot of liquidity that's being placed in there as well. But, um, you know, a lot of people have, made sure that they updated their protocols. I mean, even Ledger, uh, with the Ledger hack, they said that they're vowing to, you know, compensate the 600K that was lost. Um, some of them were for like Yuga Labs and a few other different protocols as well. But getting, you know, getting your board ape stolen is, is not something that, you know, no one wants to lose any of the funds on there. So I think the DeFi ecosystem, definitely for security, um, really, really value security the most in the forefront. But, you know, Ledger being a public company, uh, should you know they're, they're they're compensating their their users but jeff is coming back on so let me go ahead and bring him back on and we can dive a little bit into the uh the bitcoin etfs yeah absolutely you want to jump in yeah. there jeff since since it was your uh your uh suggestion what are your thoughts here? Oh, uh, I just, you know, this, this has been, I mean, I can, I can handle quickly. Um, although Eileen, my colleague, I'm not sure if she is the speaker right now or not. Might have a better take. I see. Her oh, uh, we, we, uh, we don't have enough room on stage. Um, let me see if I can move some things around, but go ahead and oh, uh, I'll see how I can get her up. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. She's having connectivity issues also. Um, that's all right. I mean, I, I, I can jump in. Um, well, it's just that. So this has been a topic of conversation for our team, our vendors, our collaborators, our advisors, our VCs, um, everybody across the board, right? Um, a key driver in kind of market movement uh, in the past few weeks, probably likely into Q1 of 2024 as well. Um, I think I, it, from from my desk, it's going to be imperative for the market to remain resilient uh, with, you know, in the, in the face of upcoming approvals, announcements, hopefully, ideally, regulation. Um, I'm, I'm bullish on it. And then I, I would say hopefully we'll see the the BTC EDFs met with, you know, matching regulations within the U.S. and abroad to open some of these new markets that we were discussing earlier. But I'll 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 stop there and and leave it open for conversation. I'd love to I'd love to hear uh, opinion, especially uh, Mayor. Also, um, how you guys are uh, tackling this? Uh, I think uh, the question was asked to us, right? Yep. Uh, could you rephrase it, please? Because I've been uh, working on a connection issue for the last 10 minutes. It just came back. So <laughs> I just, oh, just heard. Uh, yeah, ab ab absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, with regards to upcoming BTC ETFs mm -hmm. and being a Kava native project, mm -hmm. um, is this something that will affect your collateral factors, your reserve factors? How is Mare as a lending protocol on Kava? tackling um you know uh the market driver which seems to be 
BTC ETFs, at least recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I think I have to start off with a... By the way, uh, my internet has been so inconsistent. Can anybody, everybody hear me good right now? All yeah. Right, that's, that's yeah, fantastic. Good. So uh, for money, I think uh, you, some of you might know, some of you might not, but we had a very... Uh, we had a market which was full of different assets. And those assets were unfortunately derived from the multi-chain bridge. And then that bridge got hacked, which I think we were also talking in uh, trust-based and security-based conversations 10 minutes ago. So uh, we unfortunately got affected very bad by it. And uh, a lot of TVL basically evaporated due to this. So uh, we released Mare V2 in a week. And when releasing it, we decided that we will not take a bridge risk anymore because, you know, uh, in Turkey, there is a saying, uh, which means that uh, when you uh, drink some milk and it's uh, hot, you eat yogurts very, uh, like, freezingly. You try to freeze it because you just got burnt by the milk a while ago. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to push all uh, Kava native tokens, which was, of course, native USDT. We were pushing it hard with the uh, Kava surge wars, which came like until one month ago. And of course, um, also other assets like Kava and Atom. So uh, for BTC, I think we would be uh, like still, we would be very uh, conservative. We are a bit boring on that approach, but... At least for the time being, uh, we will, of course, catch. We have to catch the BTC ETFs at some point. But we are trying to uh, stay away from bridge-derived assets as much as possible for the time being, at least until uh, liquidity increases, etc. So this is our strategy, a bit unorthodox, but we are trying to uh, keep the um, safety of the supplied assets uh, more than anything because of what happened with Mare V1. If that makes sense, I mean, like all this bridging stuff is such a nightmare, and that's one of the beauties of. I mean, it's one of the original innovations of IBC, mm -hmm. right? It was we can't trust third parties with our stuff. So we built our right? like inner bridge. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. The now the the only problem with that is that it only reaches the Cosmos ecosystem, and so something I've been talking to a lot of people. I mean, this is something that goes back actually years that uh, we've been trying to push is uh, like, so we introduced, uh, I mean, they, they knew each other, but uh, we kind of were pushing some of the Polygon team to work with some of the Cosmos uh, various teams and uh, try to find a way to bring like EVM and uh, Cosmos more together. And at the time, the technology wasn't quite there. I think now it's looking like there's a lot more options that we can maybe use to try to bring these two ecosystems together. I'm curious what other people think about this. I mean, obviously, Kava, you know, Evmos are basically, they're not solving that what completely, but what they're doing is bringing an EVM, you know, face on top of IBC, right? So like uh, both of them use very similar technologies um, uh, with Ethermint. 
So what they basically do is allow people to take applications they built on Ethereum and then build them on top of, you know, IBC chains and have that that interoperability or that trustless bridging between all the Cosmos chains, which is a magical thing. And many other ecosystems now are basically um, taking inspiration or copying. Right. I would argue that. And actually, Polygon, Sandeep from Polygon uh, has said this, that he took inspiration from IBC uh, for uh, their new CDK, you know, um, LXLY cross bridging. And now you're seeing uh, Optimism is doing the same with their super chain. And I'm sure they're all going to try to do the same. So this is like, you know, they're building this now with rollups. And this is, you know, something IBC built many years ago, which is so cool. But, um, you know, Kava uh, and, and Evmos are just masks on top of IBC, but they don't plug you directly into the Ethereum, you know, massive ocean of liquidity. And so I'm interested if there's anyone uh, who, you know, is working on this or knows people who are working on this. Um, this is something very interesting to to us at, at Lunar Digital Assets and uh, I know, you know, this is something interesting to the Kava community and Kinetics communities, but I'm uh, curious what other, everyone's thoughts are on this. I mean, I think there's some Cosmos people who would say like, screw Ethereum, we don't need them. But like, realistically, that is the largest ocean of liquidity. You know, Ethereum, just its layer one has more liquidity than every other chain in the world combined, which is just mind blowing, right? There's thousands of other chains. And so I think it's it's imperative, in my opinion. And look, I'm biased because I'm an Ethereum guy. Uh, but I think if Cosmos could somehow plug in trustlessly to Ethereum, that would make I mean, that would be incredible for all of the Cosmos. Uh, I guess I can go. Um, so, you know, as an Oracle project, uh, we see the next year as being like this explosion of blockchains of like different kinds of blockchains. Um, I can't go into specifics, but like we are already talking to 50 plus blockchains that are launching next year, like within Q1, Q2 itself. And you can imagine with that amount of volume, whether some of these BCDKs, some of the some of these are Arbitrum orbits, you know, some are OP stack, uh, and with IBC also in the mix. I think like uh, when it comes to interoperability, I think the chains that try to try to bring some sort of synergy as like as like the common bridge because. I don't know if you guys know this, but all of these different stacks, the way they work is that you have interoperability within the same uh, network. So like if you're a CDK, um, you can you can basically liquidity isn't fragmented from one CDK to another CDK. You can seamlessly bridge without a risk of a hack or anything like that. Basically, uh, the bridge doesn't take custody of your funds. Um, Just like I think. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying it's just like IBC, right? Like if yes, you're a Polygon, yes. if you're like Polygon's POS chain, which will become a Validium, uh, and if or if you're Polygon's EKVM, or if you're Doge chain, or if you're the new OKX um, chain, uh, or you know Immutable, all those chains can talk to each other, just like you know, yeah. um, in, in, in Osmosis can talk to any other you know uh, yeah. chain in the in the Cosmos, right? It's the same exact yep, thing. Yep. Definitely, and and what I think is the is 
what the like what could happen is like someone could come up with a blockchain architecture that uses both cdk and ibc as the backbone and then it could be a seamless bridge between those two different sorry, sorry repeat repeat that say that sentence back no so like someone could come up with an architecture of a blockchain that communicates with both uh, cdk and ibc uh, as like a standalone chain and that chain could then act as a bridge for those two networks and that's that is exactly my like that's so i didn't want to say like exactly my thought before hearing other people's opinions but that's exactly how i imagine it would work yeah and then all of this would then not have the security risk that a traditional bridge has because uh like with the way it's too to it gets too technical when you go into like how zk works but essentially zk bridges won't rug you uh compared to like what we've had recently with with the with the bridges that you know multi-chain etc so I think with that level of interoperability between uh, chains, I think we will arrive at a point where like liquidity, uh, it, like liquidity fragmentation doesn't become a huge issue. Uh, where I do think like the Cosmos ecosystem has an edge over like other ecosystems is that uh, Cosmos has had to deal with liquidity fragmentation for a while but they also had to deal with community fragmentation for a very long while and uh that's not something the newer communities have had uh you know this is not something they've had to deal with and i think uh like they'll also run into that problem very soon wow <laughs> that is so interesting that you say that because uh we've been worried about this actually uh we've been talking about this internally at LDA uh, because we work so closely with, you know, Polygon and, and QuickSwap, et cetera. And, and now uh, QuickSwap is launching on all these new chains. And we're, we're wondering like, we need to make sure somehow we need to fight to keep the communities united because if you start having, you know, I don't know, the OKX community fighting, like competing against the immutable community, competing against the, uh, you know, Manta community competing against the, the ZKVM community, will that, will that splinter things? And you're right, Cosmos has been dealing with this and knows how to, and has learned how to deal with this over a lot longer a period. That's very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, I, I want to jump in on the fragmentation because um, me and a lot of other people in this room have been, we've been trying to tackle that over the last year, year plus because of the app chain kind of thesis, everything gets fragmented, community and, and the liquidity. Um, but I think that um, what's really, really helped is, you know, facilitating events, having people talk to each other, putting people in the same room. Um, I think a lot of the, the fragmentation at the community level where there's like actually like people hate each other for some reason, just because they're in a different project or a different ecosystem. Um, I think that it gets easier when you bring everybody together. Um, that's why putting on on major events, that's why these conventions are important. That's why these spaces are important. Um, that the more we pull people together, the more I think people realize that we actually all kind of care about most of the same shit. Um, <laughs> I, that's why the community is so strong. You know, um, they're, they're all ex-gamers. They all watch the anime. They all play video games. You know, they, they, they believe in greater and better. And 
nerd nerd (laughs) (laughs) right back at you rock um uh, but yeah i think i think it's important to, to to understand like what the animal is um and to not lean into the bad uh or negative side of things right it's not it's not not to lean into the i we hate you narrative it's about well, you know, if you can bring everybody together, now your community is our community plus their community, rather than you know ours minus theirs, right? So, um, I think that it's about the approach. That's all. I think we're all on the same highway and just in different lanes, and together we're going to the same destination. And uh, Rock, calling us nerds, we are nerds, but you're also too. All right, uh, don't Bro, bring I'm- up your EverQuest stuff. Uh, I'm the most hardcore nerd. I was like super, I was super closet nerd in high school. I was like, I I won't say jock, but I was, you know, on the wrestling team and I would rush home to uh, go raid in my guild, Uh, you know, so yeah, no, I'm a nerd too. I I say it with love. You had an early D-Gen inside of you, but I wanted to uh, welcome up Carter to the stage from uh, Shade. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. It's a very interesting conversation with the with the fragmentation. It's a super cool concept. Shade, I love what you guys are doing, man. Been a been a fan of of uh, what you guys are doing for a long time. Privacy sure. matters, and it's it's important that we have people that are willing to fight for it. Yeah, we like to say crypto is all about your money, your data, your decisions. Like those, those are kind of the three things that everyone here exists to, to empower in, in, in some capacity. Um, and I think with the Cosmos ecosystem, with, with IBC, there's just so many great builders that are, that are pushing the envelope of that. And I think privacy is, is key. Um, I think 10 years from now, a lot of these transparent blockchains and applications will have some sort some form of privacy uh, integrated into it because I think at the end of the day, people do appreciate having uh, their financial data protected. We we expect that in our everyday lives, right? We don't walk around with our bank account balances floating above our heads. We we don't expect the cashier to be able to check my blockchain balance and see how much money I have, right? So, um, or, or see for- what what you know sex toy you like you bought at the store or something. You know, like that's. <laughs> That's kind of what it seems like the government basically uh, is trying to expect of us is that they, at least, or others can see everything you do, whether you're, a, you know, a criminal or doing anything bad or not. Just blanket surveillance is where we're headed. It's, it's really scary. I mean, yeah, agreed. And it's and even separate from kind of the censorship risks, like imagine in the real world, if everyone knew how much debt you were in. Or how close you were to getting your house reclaimed from a from a bank, right? Like we have these liquidation price points all over crypto, totally publicly visible. All this leverage is publicly visible, uh, and I and I view that you know, I like to say transparency for public goods and privacy for individuals. That's like I think the end game, late game for crypto to to head towards. And yeah, at Shade we've been building for two and a half, three years, just quietly in the corner. And it's, it's been fun to see our, our community grow and really cool to see kinetics and Kava and all these, these other cosmos folks continue to emerge. And, um, to, to Trev's point, we, we all carry, uh, a, a similar banner tied to, we, we believe in permissionless and, and powerful finance that protects people's freedoms. And, 
um, yeah, it's fun. One year at a time ticks by and we, we continue to push, push the envelope together. You know, it's funny. Um, oh, well, let me let anyone else jump in before I go on a little privacy rant. Anybody else uh, want to jump in there? All right, I'm up. Um, <laughs> so it's funny. The other day, uh, I don't know if, do you know Aztec? I know he's a huge fan of Shade. Works, Love Aztec. You know, Great guy. Yeah, awesome, man. Aztec's amazing. And he's been pushing actually uh, at Lunar Digital Assets for us to work on, uh, to take on some privacy uh, clients in our, in our incubation portfolio. And he's been, you know, one of the ones he's always talking about is shade. And, um, I, you know, I said recently, and I'm going to admit this publicly and I'm, I'm sad and even ashamed a little bit to say it, but I said, I'm scared to work with privacy projects after what happened with tornado. And I consider myself like a somewhat hardcore privacy advocate, but at the same time, I'm also a hardcore, I don't want to be in a cage you know, in jail uh, advocate. So how do you reconcile that? I mean, as, as someone building things that are so important for, for humanity and for our rights. And I think that eventually we'll get right, right. P privacy matters and businesses. I think when it really will come forward is when businesses demand it, right. When us individuals demand it, we look, you know, they try to say that we're like, I don't know, drug dealers or pornographers or whatever, terrorists or something, money launderers, tax evaders, whatever you want to say. But when the businesses, when BlackRock says, hey, look, we're not putting out our balance sheets to the world. We're not we're not telling people what trades we're making. We need privacy for these things. You know, companies uh, are competing against each other. They can't have their their all of their information out there. So I think that's when things will turn around. But for now. There is an aggressive stance against privacy technology and crypto. And does that worry you working uh, in that space? I mean, it's, it's a wonderful question. Um, I had the honor of actually being able to go to D.C. recently, literally go on Capitol Hill and talk to, to folks there. Um, there was people like Zuko present that I got to chat with as well. And it's it's like there's really two sides of the puzzle. You, you do have people in government that understand the value of the technology uh, and that privacy is an extremely important thing to protect as like, we have amendment rights, right? Like we have, we have freedoms and we have to make sure that they're protected and not trodden on. So there's, there's, it's not as if like the government unilaterally is like against privacy. There's definitely like a subset of people that are worried about it from like a national um, security standpoint, but this same battle was fought in the nineties tied to encryption generally with the internet. Um, and you know, Zuko had, I think a really interesting comment on this, that like as a collective society, we've decided that the net benefit of the internet for society is more powerful and more important than the bad things that happen on the internet. Right? Like that's, the things that protect your freedoms can also be used in a negative fashion. That's just, that's, that's just kind of this interesting paradigm that emerges. And in a similar sense, I think as a society, we have to decide how much do we value permissionless money that also protects your freedoms. And I would argue the net positive for the world and for, for, for the free society is that it's worth protecting that. It's worth planting a flag on that. Yes, privacy technology will be misused. But that same protection is the thing is what is what protects your individual rights. Um, and of course, like 
Within that type of binary world, we can add in the tooling to give visibility to regulators and the auditors. Those types of decryption primitives absolutely exist and, and, they're, and they're necessary. Um, but it, it is a battle of sovereignty. It, it is a battle of sovereignty. Um, and Wait, can you explain that a little more? Yeah, so like essentially a lot of these privacy technologies, you have the ability to hand off something like a viewing key or a permit where someone can decrypt uh, specific portions of your smart contract data or your transaction history. So if I needed to hand over my tax history to an auditor, I absolutely could do that on Secret Network and Shape Protocol. We're, we're absolutely capable of that. And, I'm, and I think those types of decryption primitives um, need to continue to improve and become easier for consumers to show like regulators and politicians like, hey, like we want to be compliant. So like we, we want our data protected in 99% of the world, but we also have a path to compliance. And, and we're going to continue to see those decryption technologies uh, improve on as a whole. That is super cool. So essentially, you can have a layer where people uh, have their privacy uh, fundamentally, and it's not a blanket surveillance. But if they are suspected of committing a crime, which is, you know, sometimes also questionable when our government says those things. But if they're committing a crime, uh, then someone from the government can say, hey, I want to see this portion of data, which is basically what happens right now. That's why CBDCs, people are so against them is because right now there's a layer of banks where the banks can see your transactions, but the government can't just see every transaction. They have to, you have to be suspected of a crime uh, for the bank to have to turn over your data. So now you're saying we could build that into blockchains, which I'm sure that's controversial in itself, as I'm sure there's some privacy advocates out there that would say that's going too far and giving the government too much control. But interesting to see that you can build that kind of layer. That's that's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you're absolutely right. There is privacy, tribalism and maximalism. And I'm I'm just a privacy pluralist that we we need, you know, we're we're 98% transparent in crypto right now. And like so we need to all collectively band together. And there's been really cool unification even among the privacy projects in the last like two years. One, one of them is called the um, Universal Privacy Alliance that's got like 40 plus privacy projects all together chatting and forming, forming events and like starting to make our voices heard on, on Capitol Hill. Where um, can we yeah. find that or is that just for builders or is it possible as us as just privacy enthusiasts to, to like be there or support somehow? Yeah, they, they're on they're on Twitter, the Twitter, the Universal Privacy Alliance. So definitely give them a follow. They they host spaces from time to time, and it's it is largely for the the builders to kind of unite because we realize that a lot of us are <laughs> fighting the same fight, but we're doing it in a silo, right? It's like why are we not all teaming up to to form one cohesive voice, co cohesive narrative uh, to people that don't understand that digital privacy is, is, is for businesses, right? It's for institutions, it's for individuals, right? It's, it's so much more um, and so much more necessary than just the, the fears around, uh, you know, the illicit use of it, so to speak. I'm struggling to find it. Is it, is it priv underscore alliance? Yes, that's on the okay. right. Let's get that on the, um, on the Jumbotron, guys. Uh, can someone pin that? Cool. That's cool, man. Really like what you guys are doing. And, and I'm like, I want to help. I want to support. I'm also scared of like, you know, the government, like making some law that like, you know, uh, 
we get in trouble for support it. But I, I think, you know, at least at the minimum, I can support. I, I love to donate to these types of things. I, I donate all the time to privacy stuff. And um, yeah, so keep doing the, the good work. And, uh, you know, I, in some ways, you're taking a risk with your own safety by by advocating for this stuff, because there are people out there that that don't want uh, us to have privacy. So appreciate your your uh, your risk and sacrifice there. Yeah, it's it, it does take everyone being collectively courageous because you can you can look. I know I'm I'm a docs builder, right? And I'm just a normal dude based out of Minnesota with you know no criminal history, no no gray hat or black hat on my record. Just a totally normal person that just believes in the value of privacy. And you know, one person alone fighting that fight yeah it can you can be you could be slandered you could be compromised bad things could happen but suddenly if there's 10,000 of us or 100,000 of us it just becomes it becomes increasingly difficult it's what it's what happened when in the 90s professors from universities were literally passing around mathematical formulas tied to encryption and then it got out into the public domain and people were just using it and at, at some point just like the printing press these technologies are, have such strong network effects and such strong public net benefits that they will win out over the long haul. But it takes people being courageous enough to say privacy is normal. Privacy is a human right. We already have it in our everyday lives. We should have it in Web3 too. There, I mean, I, I look at society as like sometimes we go on a trend, a negative trend, you know, against freedom, against these like, you know, there was um, I would argue like the, 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 the phase of communism in the world was a scary one. We were going in a kind of negative trend, but then that turned around. There's you know times where they burnt all the books and, and uh, made it so only certain people could have or own books or this kind of stuff. But I think over time, we always I'm optimistic and we always move in the right direction, I believe. And I think, you know, I, I think our the world 10 years, 20 years from now will be a world where you do have, you know, proper privacy and the people that are pushing all this surveillance on us. I think that will get pushed back. I think people will get tired of it. And the, as people start to see consequences, uh, they'll fight back. The problem is normal people don't care that much because they don't see the consequences. Maybe they weren't alive uh, at, a, at a time where they weren't around for an important event that really affected people's freedom. But as these things happen, people will, uh, I think COVID was one that really made people like, whoa, we need to slow down here. I don't know if we can trust the government telling us what to do or telling us to, you know, shut down our businesses, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, I think the pendulum will swing in the right direction and you'll be on the right side of history. Yeah, and the, the last thing I'll comment, because thanks for obviously giving me the floor here for quite some time, is I think it's even, it's extremely obvious to value privacy in, in DeFi even, because like front running is a multi-billion dollar problem that's only going to continue to get more problematic as more capital and more money comes on chain. So, you know, Bob on Uniswap trying to buy $10,000 worth of a token is getting robbed of like $80 from some front runner, some MEV person, right? You add in, you know, Shape Protocol, 100% front running resistant because of the privacy uh, of the mempool that we're built on top of. Um, MakerDAO, you could be a normie that has, say, $25,000 on there and your liquidation price point is if ETH drops to $2,100 and everyone in the world can see that that's your liquidation price point. And so some whale can just wick down tie to the oracle liquidate you guarantee a profit basically what happened with terra luna yeah i mean it's, it's at a it's, larger scale there's some crossover like people saw that it was at risk and so people collaborated because it was you know a lot of the stuff was public and transparent 
so people collaborated to attack. I mean, this is how like bank runs happen too. But but instead of the attacks on systems, these attacks happen to individuals because of the lack of privacy. Devil's advocate here. Um, aren't liquidations being taken as soon as possible more beneficial to the person being liquidated? And it's it's actually quite difficult for starting up lending protocols to get enough parties interested in performing these liquidations. And they run the risk of being saddled with bad debt otherwise. So I'd be interested in hearing how a completely private lending protocol um, deals with that. That's an interesting point. Yeah, what I would say to that is there's there's different between like a structural shift Dave, in market there? liquidity. Oh. Yeah, you might be rugged. Um, Carter is speaking. Michael, can you hear Carter? Can, can everyone I hear can me? Carter. Or was that just Dave? Yep. I can hear you, Michael. Can you hear me? My, my response to that would be there's there's a difference between a structural shift in market liquidity causing liquidations versus a programmatic actor wicking something down very briefly tied to an oracle and causing a liquidation that they're only aware of that liquidation possibility because of the transparency of the position itself. So like that, there's like, I think there's absolutely, you want healthy liquidations in a system, but people intentionally triggering liquidations. I think that's where privacy becomes an interesting protection. Sorry, we were trying to coordinate and see if someone is uh, rugged or not. Uh, I'm, I'm Michael, back. can you I'm hear back. me? Yep. Oh, I was like, uh-oh, what do we do when the host is rugged? <laughs> cool, cool. Um, does anyone have anything else on that? I, I kind of want to hear, Carter, your opinion on, on the topic of should we be trying, should, should Cosmos projects and ecosystem be trying to embrace or create liquidity flows between Ethereum or should Cosmos just kind of be, you know, uh, a series of islands out on, on their own and, and who cares about Ethereum? Well, well, were you here, were you here for the previous conversation? I, I was here for about, well, about 15 minute lead up to 10, 15 minute lead up to when I hopped on. So you may have missed, we were just talking about like it, what kind of ways we can unite sort of the Ethereum ecosystem and all of its L2s and, and all of the IBC uh, chains, because right now we have to use trusted bridges and that's, you know, obviously a big issue. We just saw with multi-chain, I mean, Phantom, you know, as a chain basically, completely collapsed because of this. Uh, Doge chain was slightly affected by it. Lots of, I mean, there were hundreds of chains affected by that. And so trusting third-party bridges, um, there's some there's some ones I like out there. I mean, I, I like the stuff Axlar does. There's a bunch of good ones out there, but the problem is there are vulnerabilities. And so is there a way we can have liquidity flow between IBC and EVM um, trustlessly? And, and do you think that's needed or... I think it's a somewhat controversial topic. And I think if you asked this like a couple of years ago, I think Cosmos people would have said, uh, would have been more inclined to say, we don't need Ethereum. But I think lately it seems like there's a lot more of an appetite, appetite for collaboration from all the people I'm talking to. But curious your thoughts as a leader in the space. Oh man, I mean, I think the ideal world is Ethereum essentially like enshrines IBC into, into their nodes. And it just becomes because it's just it's such a beautiful bridging protocol with how it how it handles like all the different trust assumptions that exist within it compared to like a custodial asset bridge. Right. 
So I think that's the actual sustainable solution. Up until all layer ones are using IBC, it's like there's all these all these trust assumptions that are super risky with custodianship. So um, I think that's the real sustainable solution. Um, in terms of the liquidity situation, like if you assume the bridges are safe, right? Like I said, like hold hold on to that assumption. Um, I think the solution is there, there needs to be way more like protocol liquidity matching between the protocols themselves. So like, I think let's say like 2019 to 2022, 2023, it's always just like, Oh, like Chuck incentives at a pool and this mercenary capital comes in and everyone knows like it's, it's expensive and there's a lot of risk. And so it's like hard for projects to go outside of their ecosystem because you're, you're really like rolling the dice on that pool. And, and if traders are actually interested in acquiring your token, but uh, one thing that we're starting to push for at Shape Protocol is the protocols themselves teaming up to make a market. Um, so like, like let's say there's protocol A and there's protocol B. Um, protocol A brings the A token, protocol B brings the B token, and, and the two protocols themselves make an LP token. And so now you need no emissions, uh, and it's, it's just like the protocols making a market together. And because they both have a really long time horizon and both like long-term aligned in that sense, um, I think it's like a really good way to bootstrap liquidity. And imagine if you had a bunch of your Ethereum protocols willing to partner with Cosmos projects with no emissions involved, just with like bootstrapping pools and kind of doing that on both sides. Then you're kind of creating really interesting arbitrage. You're opening up the accessibility on both sides. And I think you can, you're doing it in a really like protocol aligned way. So that would be one thing I would propose, but that's contingent upon the bridges being safe. And ultimately we need Ethereum to enshrine IBC, which I think will happen. I think it's a pretty bold thing to say, give it, give it like three, four years, but I, I think eventually it will happen. I mean, uh, that's like the ideal scenario. What is the realistic scenario? <laughs> that, I mean, that would be incredible if Ethereum did that. But with Ethereum's roadmap and their L2s and I don't know, dink sharding and all these things. Yeah, I also question whether that's a, a, a possible reality or a likely reality. If I had to guess, I would, and I'm not an expert on this by any means, but if I just threw a number out there, it's probably under 5% that, that that's a possibility. But uh, do you think differently, Carter? I, 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 do, I do think differently. I, I think that the network effects of, the Cosmos SDK and IBC are going to become much more apparent in this next, like if we have a secular bull market in the next, you know, 2024, 2025. Uh, and I think everyone using IBC is going to reap massive benefits. And I think like any layer one that's not enshrining IBC will continue to take on these just massive risks with custodial bridges. So um, no, I, it's a, I'm taking a very contrarian view. Is, is it unlikely Probably. Do I think it's actually the right solution? Yes. And, I, and I'd like to think that first principles tend to chip away at situations over time. So ho hopefully it will happen eventually, even if it's yeah, not. Good. Quickly, quickly want to jump in here and kind of agree with, with Carter on this. I mean, I've, I've also been saying this for, I think, at least the last, last year and a half. I think uh, eventually, I think Ethereum will adopt IBC. Um, or if not, like there might be other projects that kind of find a way out. I do think there's actually a few projects working on something like this, uh, at least already on the layer twos uh, to connect layer twos uh, immediately over, over IBC. Um, and I do agree. Like, I mean, the time frame again, I think might be different. Like we might be thinking in different time horizons and uh, I like to think in like 10 year time horizons, but I do see it happen. And uh, I think the network's effect of, of IBC will just be 
too big to kind of ignore, uh, even from an Ethereum side. Um, and it's still so early if you look at it. Like, um, um, so yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm fully aligned with that. I, I will see it. Uh, hopefully, I will see it happen as well. Um, yeah, very big believer in that. You, I'll have to, I'll have to drop off. By the way, uh, but thank you so much for for having me, guys. Yeah, quickly, John. Did you say you yeah. know of some some what was it layer twos that might be enabled? I, I know a project. Um, I mean, I, I don't know them personally, but I've read about them. It's a polymer, I think. Uh, they are working on something that is bringing IBC to uh, Ethereum layer twos. Um, I don't know the details. Uh, I've read through it very quickly, um, but uh, I do think there are certain projects working on this uh, this type of problem statement. Yeah, I am very interested in this. If anybody else is interested in this and would like to collaborate on this, I think this is a huge deal. Um, I, you know, I think maybe it requires a, someone a little like myself, who I'm not a Cosmos Maxi. I love Cosmos. I think, you know, I think it has, the, on the team sides, it has like some of, if not the greatest devs in the entire industry. Um, and the, te there's the, the tech in general, IBC, that's why, you know, I love that Polygon has taken, you know, influence from that IBC structure for their roll-ups, et cetera. But, you know, I'm also very involved in the Ethereum world and the Polygon world. And so I think maybe sometimes it takes someone that lives in both worlds to help push these things along because, you know, there may be people in Cosmos that are capable of doing these things. But if they're more like Cosmos Maxis, maybe they're not interested in doing this. So if there is anyone who is interested in trying to put the pieces together to make something like this happen. It's something that we've been talking about for years. I mean, uh, we've been really trying to find a way to do this. And I think we're finally at a stage where it is actually technically possible now. And you can have a true trustless um, bridge or chains between all of IBC and, and Ethereum. So if anyone's interested in that, uh, please DM me. On a quick note, I have to hop off here, but really appreciate uh, Kinetics and Kava for hosting and all all the speakers. It's super cool to see Into the Cosmos episode one and um, it's going to be fun to continue to see more of these Twitter spaces. Thanks for pulling pulling us all together as, as a collective group. Yeah, thank you, Carter and Jerome. Um, we'll be wrapping up soon, but we'll keep going. We got a few more things I think I, I saw in a, one of the chats to talk about. But yeah, thanks, Carter. Please come on again soon, man. You're a wealth of knowledge. And also you, Jerome. We've been we've been obviously uh, fans of persistence for a long time, <laughs> and shade. Cool. Yeah, I kind of wanted to to touch on one of the pain points that was mentioned earlier in terms of uh, liquidations on because like especially with the topic of DeFi, liquidations having public information is very very uh, crucial for a lot of data aggregators to see position spots of uh, of basically when to liquidate. Like if, if, for example we're talking about Terra Luna and basically everyone knows where that liquidation point is going to be because uh, that was public information. But I wanted to uh, see if Alexi wants to talk about kind of like how, well, this is a little bit of a controversial topic, but sometimes centralized exchanges use those liquidation metrics with their market makers to actually liquidate positions. Are you asking to repeat that last part? Are, yeah, oh, are you asking? Alexi. Go ahead, go ahead. So can you just re-ask the question more intended to plan up a video? Alexi, you there? I think, uh, I think Michael. So I, I could ask while well, Michael is uh, intermittently rugged here. Um, so I think the question 
and Michael, you can correct, is, you know, centralized exchanges have data on traders and they sometimes use that data to like, what, scam or liquidate traders? Is that the question? Can you see me? Um, I can hear you, Alexi. Can you hear us? I can hear everyone. All right. Okay, Alexi might be rugged. I'll tell him, I'll DM him to come back. Uh, does anyone else want to take the question? I think API three was uh, was about to say something as well, because like for for you guys, you guys also aggregate all of the data that's going to be used. Um, so how do you guys see that? Uh, obviously, with something like oracles, right? Uh, it's it's you as an oracle project. You don't get to decide like what is the true value. All you can do is. Aggregate the data from multiple sources, do some sort of manipulation on the data in in terms of enhancing the data quality, like volume weighting of the data, or you know doing some sort of operation. And and most are done by the data sources themselves. And 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 you possibly you can do additional operations on top, but uh, I think this is kind of like the byproduct of of just why we do not list certain assets which are highly illiquid or lack sufficient depth because uh, there is a real possibility of you know these types of scam mix that you know <laughs> the, uh, that rock mentioned is because when you have an asset that that trades like a shitcoin then you can expect to get rugged like a shitcoin um, if you you know uh, open a leverage long on a perpetual market on that coin. So, uh, as an Oracle, we we take like we do our due diligence to make sure we don't list those types of assets. And and the sad the sad thing for me is uh, we are seeing now Oracle projects going out and listing such assets and projects adopting them. Uh, and I think like that is a bad. Standard. I think the projects. I, I'm sorry to say this, but like I think projects need to do a lot more due diligence when they are choosing an oracle instead of just, you know, just saying, "Oh, well, let's let's do a let's read a data feed." That's enough. Um, Isn't like, that say, like kind of a hard? I, that's. I mean, that's easy to say, right? But for projects like knowing lots of, you know, since LDA incubates lots of projects, I, I know how hard it is to get any oracle for a project so it's kind of difficult to say well do your due diligence and be very careful about which oracle you choose when i mean like for some projects no oracles will even work with them like what do you suggest for those people i mean i i hope we're moving to a world where you know oracles become more permissionless i guess and i think api is work api3 is working on stuff like you, that we have a whole so, um, permissionless marketplace where any project can go look at the data feeds that we provide can either provide the gas to operate the data feeds and on Carver that costs very, very little um, or approach us and see if there's any other ways that we can help the project out by providing those data feeds as well. Yeah, so, I, I think Rock's question is more along the lines of a project has a coin and they want to get that coin listed as an oracle and uh, no oracle project is willing to work with them because their coin is not doesn't you know have like sufficient liquidity or debt yeah, and chainlink's I, I, list of demands is like insane it's like 
uh, it's like three million a day in uh, liquidity. It's like stare. It has it has to have like not just depth in like plus or minus you know two or three percent or something. It's like very uh, structured depth all the way down and all the way up. And like there's uh, uh, what else? Like there have to be like twenty projects like that are integrated or there's some cra it's crazy yeah, yeah. For, for small I, projects i wouldn't say our demands are so strict but but like you have to understand when when these feeds get used there's going to be potential millions or hundreds of millions of tvl that will be secured by these data feeds so we want to avoid any type of these scam wicks that that any type of market manipulation basically that can happen at a small to medium level obviously at a big level you know you can still do these types of things uh, if you're you know some huge market maker uh, like jump capital or something but uh, uh, in general I would say like uh, I think it's it's a it's a ultimately it's a trade-off right and, and, and this is a trade-off that we as an R2 project cannot compromise on uh just because we've <laughs> in a way we are trying to limit the damage the users will cause themselves so is there, is there ever uh, a day where do you see a day where technology <laughs> and computer science solves this and where every project no matter how large or small can have an oracle like either on their own or decentralized or trustlessly or, or permissionlessly or whatever or is it going to continue to be a thing where it's only like medium and blue chip projects that even have a chance I do see it, but uh, I think the it's, it's the day where you can accurately judge how much value is being secured by that data feed. When you can do that, I think that's when, uh, you know, you can construct data feeds that only allow you to read up until a certain value gets secured. And after which the data feeds need to be, you know, have more, let's say, have need to have a better health factor before they can secure even more of value. I, I, would, I would think on top of that, that a lending protocol with truly isolated markets could probably list these even with like very poor quality data feeds, as long as they were upfront about the fact that like this is a data feed source just from this single DEX the protocol has liquidity on. And people were very aware that depositing in that is, is likely to get them rugged, but equally them getting rugged isn't going to impact the rest of the protocol then it's kind of again down to the the transparency side like the risk is on the users but the users should be fully aware of the risk and it doesn't impact the people who aren't aware of that risk but are using the rest of that protocol so maybe that would be one way of doing it but like i i mean there are some uh decent lending protocols that have isolated liquidity but they don't seem to be listing these like these low capacities yet and some of them have been hacked Right, these isolated lending markets. There's been issues, a lot of issues. Too, right? issues. So, uh, and Tom, here's a shark. The shark is there. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry that my someone's mic was a little. Oh, uh, that's not the same thing. Anyway, so there's been a bit of a storm. Yes. Um, no, I see. Uh, Anton was. I don't know what there's two people. There are two people. It's very hard to hear whoever is speaking. It sounds like two people were trying to speak. Let's do one at a time. API three. I think you were trying to speak. Oh, I guess they uh, accidentally unmuted. But um, oh, hey, um, <laughs> we're maybe we're overhearing back. a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alexi's back, and uh, yeah, wanted to to basically get your opinions on kind of like uh, how centralized exchanges use the the data that they are fed from 
their uh, decentralization well, from their uh, perpetuals market uh, to be able to liquidate users and everything and kind of like how decentralized exchanges is going to be a lot more it, basically decentralized purpose exchanges as well is like it's a lot more difficult for the users to uh to basically face those uh darth maul wicks where it just kills all longs and shorts where are you saying like because well i mean there's still wicks in in DeFi, but the difference i guess is that on a centralized on a on in DeFi. Sorry to jump in and snipe Alexi here, but Alexi jump in. But in DeFi, you don't have uh, one party having asymmetrical information over the other party. Everybody has the same information. Whereas on a sex, the sex itself is the house and they have the data on the position. Well, go ahead, Alexi, if you have any. Yeah, can I first, you guys can hear me now? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Put a lot of spaces. Uh, yeah, so on, on the DeFi side, it, uh, it also depends on the perpetual exchange, right? Uh, with the oracles, you know, they tend to aggregate uh, pricing from multiple locations as well, so it's harder to have a scam week. Uh, so that solves one component of the problem. Yeah, centralized exchanges, you know, a lot of the times it's infamous, you know, they uh, trade against you, they have your data, they know where to wick down to make you guys get liquidated. Uh, what's happening now with a lot of perpetual exchanges is they're not getting the prices just from one location. Uh, where those scam wicks can occur. They're aggregating from across multiple exchanges. Uh, and then they also do weighting as well. How they're, you know, they're not going to uh, take a one centralized exchange, which might have a million dollars in volume, and give that the same uh, level of trust as you know, Binance, where there might be billions of dollars in volume. So they aggregate uh, from multiple locations and they aggregate the weight of the volume from those multiple locations. So you don't tend to run into the same situation. But that also comes down to the perpetual exchange itself, right? Not all of them have the same quality of uh, price sources. Yeah, and some have backup like uh, fail safes and protections, right? Like if one source uh, is way out of line, uh, then like, for, okay, it's at two levels. One is at the, the Oracle itself level and two is at the protocol level where the protocol have, may have backup oracles, right? Like I think Kinetics uses like an internal Oracle or uh, and then backup. Uh, how does that work exactly? Maybe you could explain a little more. Yeah, so to break it down simply, they're uh, aggregating uh, prices from multiple different exchanges. Plus, on top of that, we are also using oracles on top of that, and we have the fast price feed that can kick in. So, if there is any deviation in price, so a bunch of layers of protections at the protocol and oracle level that to try to stop manipulation, basically. That's exactly it. Yeah. So it, it can be a lot safer to trade on these decentralized exchanges because they're not just relying on uh, one party. On a centralized exchange, the pricing is being done from the traders directly on that exchange. It's also worth mentioning that where you have a decentralized Oracle backup, any manipulation attempts done by the decentralized Oracle is going to forever be encoded on chain and visible. So, and also That's the Oracle itself will aggregate from numerable providers. So it, it makes the whole thing incredibly resistant to scam wicks, resistant to the kind of traditional bucket shops that you might see with like leveraged TradFi assets, um, like common exchanges where people will like take out a, like a CDP, um, no, sorry, not CDP, like a, I think it's called a contract for difference in the UK, where you'll you'll basically take out a position on an asset without necessarily knowing you're doing it. And you have the percentage to be liquidated, and then they'll actively try and liquidate you. 
with decentralized exchanges, decentralized perpetual protocols, that kind of thing doesn't happen. It's transparent. The prices are transparently sourced. They're transparently um, transparently acquired. They're decentralized. They're available for people to verify. So, yeah, you should be a lot safer on these than on some um, some shady exchanges, and even on Robinhood and some of those other places that people will buy and trade stocks and crypto. Robinhood makes money by selling your trades to other, um, like other market makers. So you literally you'll trade, business. and then someone will short it's you. Literally, their he, business model. Yeah, that, yeah that, exactly. That's to me, so, crazy that that's even allowed to happen, and and that's a great point you bring in up. I just, yeah, my mind is blown, and that comes back to a lot of the you know, uh, regulation as well. Yeah. So with with decentralized perpetual protocols, decentralized lending markets, you shouldn't see that. It it should be pretty like it should be better than Chadfi. And that's a world I'm happy to be building in. And what's cool about DeFi is that it's just this this always evolving marketplace of ideas and technologies and products that we just keep finding ways to solve these issues. Whereas like in the centralized industry, uh, a lot of these issues are, you know, 50, 100 years old and we haven't found ways to solve them. But when you have like, DeFi Legos or composability in these these DeFi building blocks and you know thousands of teams with a vested interest in solving all of these issues, you really can't, you start to see some really unique solutions. And the fact it, that it, these solutions can work together, right? Robinhood cannot work together with some other exchange or some other you know some product or some random individual can't build on top of Robinhood, but in DeFi. Anyone can build anywhere, anytime permissionlessly and add and and strengthen and bolster and add resilience and, and diversification strategies and all kinds of and, and insurances, uh, you know, like Protofire does over at QuickSwap and uh, all these incredible, you know, protections being and things being built. And we'll, be, uh, we'll be partnering with Protofire for insurance. Yeah, so we'll be partnering with Protofire for insurance as well on Kinetics, which is uh, something fantastic. It's it's crazy. Not only protected, uh, you know, depending on the DeFi platform you are using, right? not only protected then with scam wicks and liquidations, you're protected because you, know, you have self custody of the funds as well. So it's, it's, it's multiple layers of protection. So like with, you're with not getting uh, the traded against the information, you're not being getting sold. <laughs> yeah, it, with the insurances, can you can you explain like what are the things? If you use, and this is something really interesting, and a lot of people, I think a lot of regular people, retail people know nothing about this, even like me as like, you know, a co-founder of QuickSwap in the insurance side is, I only know about it because we're building it and I know that institutions are demanding it. But like retail people, I don't think a lot of them are using, you know, insurance. And so maybe, Alexi, can you explain, because I know you're on the cutting edge of, of building some of these insurance stuff with like Protofire and, and with and you're, you know, in discussions with all the major institutions about this and what they demand to be able to work with like Kinetics um, and like over uh, same thing we're doing on QuickSwap. But uh, yeah, could you tell us like what are the things you're insuring against? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So there's, there's multiple things. I mean, you can be uh, insuring for uh, you know stablecoin uh, DPEG. I'll, I'll use the uh, the case of um, uh, yeah of Kinetics at, at the moment. You know, obviously we have uh, USDT in the basket, so you can get insurance uh, to protect against a DPEG if you know USDT was a DPEG, as we saw with uh, Circle like six months or something ago. 
Uh, you can get uh, bridge risk insurance. So, you know, if somebody's bridging uh, and they're not native assets, right, they're bridging across the Carva, Zik, whatever chain it is, you know, a lot of these guys want that uh, bridging insurance uh, for non-native assets. Uh, smart contract uh, um, uh, insurance as well, that, that's a very large one. Uh, for example, with GMX, we see that uh, whenever they up the caps for the insurance straight away, more funds get in. Um, so, that, so that's another thing. Uh, yeah, that was really interesting to me to, to hear that from some of these like funds and insurances is like the second they up the insurance limits, the institutions just come in like that's they this is something they really need. Right. Because they have mandates. They have like, you know, exactly. they have like rules and regulations they have to abide by. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. So like how that might look is, uh, I guess, is an example. And again, I, I don't know everything about this, but uh, I know you know a lot more. But like, so so, so a fund may say, okay, yeah, we want to provide liquidity on um, Kinetics or on Hover. Um, but, you know, uh, and let's say, I think on Kinetics, the, the APR on the, um, on, so Kinetics is, you know, a DEX and uh, PERPS. And, you know, I think you guys, you know, there's more stuff coming. But so like, let's say the PERPS, uh, it's like a 40% APR or 50 or whatever it is. Now, the, the fund will go, okay, cool, 40, 50% APR. Now we have to count, okay, is there uh, some impermanent loss? Let's say they, they estimate that at a whatever, 5%. So now that 50% becomes a 45 then they go, okay, what's the, um, what's the stable, what's the USDT stablecoin DPEG risk? Okay, we'll pay one or 2% for insurance on that. Okay, now the 45, you know, drops to 43. Um, what's the, the bridge risk? Okay, that's another two or 3%. Okay, now the 42 becomes, you know, uh, 40 or 39 or whatever. And so basically, they're able to pay and get protection against all these risks, whether that's you know, stablecoin to peg, bridge, smart contract, et cetera. And then they go look yeah, at it as okay, what's the net what's the net now between that? Are we is this profitable for us? And then that's when they come over, right? And then they have to account their cost of capital as well. That's it. That's exactly it. And I wish this was a product honestly that a lot more retail uh users used. Um so they're uh secure like these funds. Yeah, it's so cool. I, I I love working in this space. Any builders, I'm sure you you can feel like the same energy I feel when I talk about this stuff is that like it's just crazy to see so much new stuff being built all the time. You know, like over on QuickSwap, we're we're trying to figure out we've been we've been building our perps v2 and we're uh we're like collaborating with other people and there's just so many questions all the time because it's like each model you could only estimate is only gonna work for like six to 12 months before there's a new model that takes over and is more efficient. That is wild to me to see that like, this is just one example, right? Perps. Then you have the same thing with DEXs, like, right? There was V1, there was V2, there's V3 with concentrated liquidity, there's V4 with hooks, there's solvers now, there's uni X, there's all these, there's clubs the being club, built. Club DEXs, there's, yeah. The stable coin, you know, uh, model, the curve model, there's the balancer model, there's all these, there's the VE model, there's the convex built on top of that. So just constantly there's like new product after new product after new product. And as a builder in this industry, it's pretty fun and exciting to be part of that. It's hard to keep up and it's, it's incredibly competitive, but what a world we're living in where you just have these new products and, you know, like I, I, I could say QuickSwap has 
hundreds of integrations that we work directly with and probably thousands of integrations in total. Uh, I know Kinetics is, uh, has a ton too. Uh, a lot new of a protocol, but uh, definitely has it's, a ton still, of stuff. It's still very early days. Eh? Any, uh, you know, any retail people that think uh, they've missed out, you, you guys haven't at all. Just roll up your sleeves, yeah, start digging into some protocols, start doing some research, start learning, and you can absolutely you know, rip the benefits of that. So I, I personally kind of feel like, you know, this is uh, uh, you know, back years before even MySpace, you know, with the social media age, it's uh, still at the, the early internet stages of Web3. Yeah, I was talking to someone last night about this and, uh, and I said like this, I, it, I, I thoroughly think, because we were talking about um, some, some hardcore Web3 people who made, like the person I'm thinking of in particular had, has made tens, if not hundreds of millions in this space, but in the bear market, he started like focusing on real estate and other things. And, and me and my friend who know the guy were just like, dude, what's, what's the deal there, man? Like <laughs> this space is so interesting. There's so much being built. Why would you like leave during the bear market? That's when you should be building stuff. And, um, I we just thought that, you know, we've seen, I've seen that a lot. I've seen that hundreds of times, right? Probably the majority of the people I've known in the industry over the years leave during the bear markets. And then they, they all kind of clamor back in during the bull run. But I mean, to me, the way I look at this space is it's, you know, we still have another 20 to 30 years of massive, massive innovation in this space. And I look at it as like the time from say 1995, when I first got into the internet to like now 2023. I mean, that's how, and it's going to keep going, right? The internet's going to keep innovating and crypto is going to have its same kind of growth phase for the next, I think, 20 or 30 years. I think I want to agree with that because I had a similar internet introduction um, and I watched it develop from where people made web pages by typing HTML like raw into notepad and you could have a website and it wouldn't be functional at all. It would be useless. It would just talk <laughs> like it would list your business and then have a phone number um, and maybe a contact us like web form. I so, thought I was the, the coolest guy in the world is like, I think I was probably eight or nine or 10. And I remember learning uh, HTML and typing like some command slash, like I would type some words and then I would type like, like the little carrots scroll yeah. or something. And then, and then at the end, did like, you, did you have, do you remember the blink scroll? tag, like blink and marquee tags? So they're like the true HTML OGs where like, that was the big thing. If you had a website, you had scrolling text on it. Um, yeah, man, that was, I felt like the coolest hacker on the planet when I showed my parents, like this website I made that just said like, you know, rock is cool or something. If you look at blockchain now, I, like the reason why, or I think maybe one of the reasons why the internet moved forwards is kind of the rise of open source code where people can see something that's already been built, iterate on it, have that as open source as well. The next developers come along, see that iterate upon it again. And you end up with something much better. And Web3 has been built open source more or less from the start. So you see people forking an existing protocol, adding something cool onto it. The next group of developers come along and iterate again upon that. And it, 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 like, it accelerates. So, I mean, the start of Web3, I think when I got into Web3, I got in via Dogecoin. And in order to buy Dogecoin, you had to download the Dogecoin client and then spend three days syncing it. Uh, to find out if you'd actually even succeeded in, in your initial transactions buying it. So that even people complaining about MetaMask now, MetaMask is, is usable. Um, all of the wallets now are significantly better than they were a long time ago. And, and in another two years, 
five years, everything's going to be orders of magnitude better as well. So like I, I see this as being the same with the internet. I think everything will get much, much better. And we probably won't appreciate how much better and how much easier it will get right now, but it, it will get there. Dude, you know, I had a, such a cool conversation with, uh, and by the way, yeah, to, I just really quick add to what you said. Like, I remember when I was, you know, first in crypto in 2015 and to make a wallet, it took me um, three, uh, two computers and another device that I would use in combination to make a wallet. So yeah, uh, it's come a long way. I was having a conversation though with actually Trev here. And uh, I think who, who else was on this call? We were talking about like, account abstraction. You guys were kind of schooling me and teaching me some stuff. I think it was like Cosmos Haas and DeFi Joe and you, I think. Uh, but you guys were like, I was like, holy shit, these guys are the big brains. But yeah, like maybe I guess just as a random transition, like uh, anybody have thoughts on account abstraction and how that will kind of obfuscate all these difficulties and what can be done with that? Yeah, I'll speak a yeah. little bit about that. I, I think that uh, it, the question's more about um, adoption of the technology and lowering the barrier of, of, of eventually from a technical knowledge perspective um account abstraction is something that that helps with that um <clears throat> but we need to go further uh to closer to like 100 tech abstraction so that means like chain abstraction and, and account abstraction and all these things that are very very um it's not that they're very very complicated although they are under under the hood it's that even though uh, I, I'd consider everybody up here is probably like close to an SME or an SME in this industry a, as industry experts. I'm sure we still sit there and we think, man, like when, when we're sending money from, from one chain to another or sending a transaction or anything, like we've seen things go wrong. Like what if the money doesn't get there? We keep refreshing our, 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 our uh, explore to see if the funds have made it right. Um, it, it's very, very, uh, I guess it puts a load on the user, even even us up here that are used to it, um, to have to think about all the things that could go wrong or are you doing this 100% correctly? Did you swap here first? Do you have to swap there next? Um, account abstraction uh, it kind of helps with that by, by, by literally <laughs> doing doing what, what, what it says on, on the tin, right? Um, and making it easier user experience wise, but we need to go even further. Um, and that's all I'll say in, in, in terms of a you know, just generally, um, we need to make it easier for the users. Yeah, I was last night uh, asked to, to, to sign a multi-sig transaction and I go and like the page is different than normal. I'm like, I don't uh, trust this. I don't know why does this look different than what I'm used to for yep. the last years. Uh, and like, so I call one of uh, our lead devs up and I'm like, hey, can you like, I'm going to share a screen, make sure that I'm not like this is not some weird stuff. And, you know, then he's he's like having trouble with it. He's like, I don't know why it's not working. Uh, that's weird. And he's like one of the best devs in the industry. And, um, and then we figured it out. It was like not that big. of It was like a simple, stupid thing. But if it's like, you know, me and like a lead dev having to try to figure out how to do a multi-sig, that's a it's pretty it's pretty embarrassing for the space that this is what we expect like regular people to do. And I've been in this space for almost 10 years. Right. I was like one of the first lightning network nodes. I like, you know, uh, like all the crazy stuff I've done in the space and like I'm struggling here. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just too complicated. I remember the first multi-sig transactions that I signed and I'd have to get like three of five people. They'd have to send a They'd have to complete their own transaction. Send me like the hash of the transaction. You'd have to get them all together. It'd have to be in a time frame. Like, 
it's insane. <laughs> but that's, that's you got to do like one of those. What, what's the uh, the the uh, thing that like I think Zcash or Zencash or these some of these did where you had to have like a a ring ceremony or like a, uh, where they all have to get together at the same time and generate the key like wild stuff. Yeah, I, I think that. <laughs> that that we we need to be be focused on like what makes things functional rather than hey it's kind of cool um <laughs> you know so oh dave you got something oh dave dave's dipping out thanks dave uh it was it was great uh speaking with you cool um, if, yeah. uh, anyone else, by the way, uh, hover, I'm surprised you didn't jump in Oracle, uh, earlier on the Oracle stuff or on the liquidation stuff, you guys being a lending protocol. Do you have any, any thoughts on that stuff? Uh, we're going to, I think we're going to call it here soon. Um, but, uh, yeah, curious if you had any thoughts on the, the Oracle stuff or, um, maybe just quickly, like what hover is doing would be cool. Sure. Yeah. Um, Thanks for that. I was unfortunately having a lot of technical difficulties throughout this Twitter space, but um, I guess I should ask first. Are you able to hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay, awesome. Um, so I know there was some discussion earlier about um, doing due diligence on the oracles that we work with and the assets that we list. And so what we're doing at Hover is we're working with Pith for their transparently sourced price feeds. We're also working with our risk partner, LedgerWorks, to keep really close tabs on our prices, to evaluate the market risks, and set informed parameters on any assets that we add to our markets. And they're also providing us with continuous monitoring with alarms built in to alert us of any activity that can impact our markets. So um, we're working really hard um, behind the scenes to try to you know, build out as much as we can to keep the markets at Harvard as safe as possible. Cool. Yeah, keeping an eye on what you guys are doing. Um, yeah, you guys have a, a cool history. I don't know if you guys' whole history is like public with the stuff you guys have built, but uh, so I won't, I guess, comment on that. But yeah, uh, like the team over at Hover and, and interested in seeing what you guys are building as you move forward in, in the cosmos. Yeah, thanks for that, Rock. We're also super excited to be working with Kinetics. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, guys. And uh, also on that note, kind of wanted to uh, talk a little bit about us and kind of like some campaigns that we have. So anyone that's in the audience that's listening, you can go to Kinetics and go in and uh, enter into our volume mining campaigns, enter into different campaigns that we have um, and be able to earn Kinetics. And uh, yeah, check out the decentralized exchange portion, also the uh, decentralized perps exchange portion as well, so that you guys can also you know, potentially want to get into leverage positions or whichever, um, but check us out. We're going to be a hub of different data sources for um, a lot of different products. So keep that in mind. We are a DeFi hub that will have multiple products placed out. So once again, I want to thank all of the speakers. Thank you, Kava, for participating, API3, uh, Mayor Finance, uh, Hubbard Network as well, first for staying as long as well. Trevor from Dora Hacks. Uh, I want to thank everyone. And wish everyone a great Shade, day. Shade, Carter at Shade, shout out. Shade as well. Yep. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess to to jump in just really quick about like uh why I'm excited about kinetics is uh if maybe some saw we did a governance vote recently where QuickSwap is uh actually hosting kinetics on our uh on our official website. So when users uh want to come trade in the cosmos, 
uh, like Polygon users. We're, we're trying to introduce Polygon users to the Cosmos. So if Polygon users want to trade in the Cosmos, they can trade on Kinetics through the QuickSwap uh, website. You could go to the website and the drop down menu has uh, Kinetics. So yeah, shout out to uh, Kinetics from uh, over here from your friends at QuickSwap. And shout out to Kaba for uh, all of their uh, general support. Uh, and yeah, Michael, you mentioned uh, on Kinetics, you can earn, uh, you know, uh kinetics token which is actually it's uh the kfi token is an iou because there will be a, a token launch for kinetics you know in the next uh well i can't i don't think i don't know if it's public but so i won't say but um kava has been uh really generous with their uh their community uh if, for those who don't know kava has the kava rise program and this is basically a way to reward it's kind of like how arbitrum and optimism you know they're doing their airdrops to bootstrap their chain but kava actually has a, a like a permanent uh, program, I think it's permanent in place where they're giving rewards to projects built on uh, Kava and the Cosmos that are, uh, you know, based on, I, I think it's like liquidity or volume and stuff. But uh, yeah, so I see that Kava has been giving a lot of support. So when you go to Kinetics, you actually in Kava and the IOU for the new token that's not even launched yet. Uh, and then uh, uh, shout out to the QuickSwap community again that uh, we get 1% of the, the, the QuickSwap community gets 1% of the kinetic supply for our partnership. So we're, we're excited and hope you guys do really well. Thank you, thank you. Glad to partner with everyone. And I also pinned it onto the, uh, the Jumbotron on top as well. All right, it was fun, everyone. Cheers. I was, uh, was happy to learn more about <laughs> Cosmos with everyone here today. Oh, shout out to Cryptocito, he was here too. We forgot to shout him out. <laughs> Motherfucker screaming out loud, looking for mercy before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve mentality stuck in the burbs. I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works, and we'll see what other kinds of trash is under the dirt. We rape and plunder the earth, sit and wonder about the worth and plate. Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served. Motherfuckers walking around here looking faceless, trying to make a living selling friendship bracelets. Dead ants dragging out the max amount of payments. Red down days, got them acting all bankless. Yo, fam, what? Check these token knocks. They probing this bear, flexing broken knives. I had to lay my soul down. I'm just roasting knives, and then to end a long day, 11 bowls of chronic. Never known the politic, I was born to frolic. It's been my policy to pollinate all over the plot. We got a lot of apologists jumping in at the top. We like to measure their velocity before they hit rock bottom. Over the impossible loss, it's all moss, and I'm liking the odds. Bond doing the morning, forming mycological bonds. Flick the cap, yo, the road is highly involved. Flip a coin, diary falls. Motherfuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy. Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey. What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come, first serve mentality. The teeth stuck in the burbs I'll be numbing up first Before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Trying to figure out the max amount of dinner lay Stacked and non-toxic Just to get a better place Smacking on the hostage Like the shit is played for keeps Clowns, white knight and all these Maybelines They call it implausible When model after model keeps on Ripping off the coat and going full throttle Leats tearing apart your community all these low-hanging fruits bearing zero liquidity Got a planet in reach, coming standard to each I'm on the back, ten stargazing after the siege Commanding all the management to grab a few seats And then we'll round up the beasts and send a messenger 
east Y'all better sign a release when I'm bumping these beats Hands up if I got motherfuckers drumming the streets Yo, we got a few dubs, we got a couple defeats And if you're coming for the king, you better have some of each Motherfuckers fuckers screaming out loud, looking for mercy Before they find themselves working a corner down in Jersey What could be worse? Misrepresenting the first come first serve Mentality stuck in the verbs I'll be numbing up first before discovering what works And we'll see what other kinds of treasures under the dirt We rape and plunder the earth Sit and wonder about the worth and play Ring around the rosy while the thunder is served Spaces. <laughs>